I tell you why college students struggle? Here it is. It's very easy. It's not complicated. College students struggle because they don't place their identity in Jesus. What they do is they place their identity in the world. Why? Because Satan deceives them into buying a lie that it's all about them. And that's dangerous. So in this series, somebody was asking me today, is this an apologetics-based series? What is this series really going to encompass? What is it really going to encapsulate? What's it about? And this is a dying-to-self sermon series. In the same way that we prayed for Use Your Voice to give us confidence in sharing the gospel and speaking out against social injustices that we see in America, well, in the same way, we want to see a culture here at The View that is unselfish, that has realized what the gospel is really about, that we are called to die to ourselves. And what I believe, you can mark this right here, what I believe, the revival we're in, I believe revival will continue and even expand to much bigger than all of this. We've got a packed room again tonight, middle of the semester. I believe revival will continue in the city of Memphis amongst 18 to 25-year-olds when we die to ourselves. Amen? Because it's not about us anyway. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to John chapter 3. Very excited you're here. I know we got a lot of first-time guests in the room. John chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a big praise. Today we went to University of Memphis. How many of you are Tigers? Raise your hand. Where's U of M students at? Yeah. Yes, yes, U of M. Yes. We were at University of Memphis today for the first time since March doing campus ministry. Campus ministry is where we go and we share the gospel and we tell people about Jesus. Why? Because it's not about us. You're going to hear that a lot. Some of you are going to be like, I'm sick of this. <laughs> I'm sick of this statement. He's worn this statement out. Well, I'm going to wear it out until we memorize it. We go there and we share Jesus. And today is our first time since March sharing the gospel. We went there, and there wasn't a lot of students there. As many of you know, your classes are still on Zoom. But we went there and we shared the gospel. And praise God, we saw somebody get saved today at campus. Isn't that awesome? And that's crazy, isn't it? When I was coaching high school basketball a few years ago, I coached at Bartlett High School. I don't know if anybody went to Bartlett in here. Where you at, Bartlett people? Yeah, Paul. <laughs> Paul went to Bartlett. Panther right here, Dakota's in here somewhere, I see you, J-Bell. Uh, Bartlett, I coached at Bartlett High School, and when I was a coach, I loved the months of, are you ready for this, August and September, Seth. I loved the months of August and September, some of you know why. As a coach, I loved what we call conditioning. <laughs> Look at Adam Neal, he's like, no. <laughs> How many of you played sports? Anybody play sports? So you know what conditioning is like, right? You've been there in those months, whatever that off-season is for you. I don't know what that off-season is. What's the off-season for volleyball? Where's Elizabeth at? What's the off-season for volleyball? Somebody tell me. Spring. Thanks, Salsa. He's like, spring. <laughs> spring. Off-season's fun because then you start to get into preseason. You start to get in conditioning. Well, as a coach, I love conditioning. As a player, I hated it. You know that one kid who, when you're running sprints, and you've got to run that sprint again because that one kid decided to get all the way to the line but cut it short by one inch. Anybody know anybody like that? That was you? I'm not surprised. And so I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I could not stand that kid when I was playing sports. When I was coaching, what we would do is at Bartley, I got some Bartley guys in here. They'll remember this. We had tryouts. And tryouts are always hilarious because anybody can come out. And uh, when you get there, everyone thinks they're a hooper. You know, everyone's like legit, like, you know, this is my team. I'm like, dude, you can't dribble with your left hand. All right, chill. So you get come to, everybody looks like a star in PE. I mean, everybody's out there doing the Kevin Durant little turnaround fadeaway and stuff. Everybody looks like a star in PE. And then you get into tryouts and you start doing like, you know, fundamental stuff like 
can you use your weekend? You know, can you look up while you dribble? And what you find is, at least what we found, is that 80 to 85% of the players who tried out really were not cut out for this. In other words, they had no offhand, and they would play like this, and dribble like this, looking down the whole time. In other words, they were trash. I got to call it what it is. A lot of them were trash. Great kids. Love them to death. <laughs> like I'm having flashbacks of some of them. <laughs> they were trash. And so we would do uh, a tryouts, and uh, it was always funny because in PE, it's a shoot-around. And a shoot-around, you're familiar with a shoot-around. Shoot-around means you get to go in there and you get to do whatever you want. You get to throw up those shots. You get to go at your own pace, Michelle. You know, you get to go at your own pace and just kind of coast. And you get to look cool. We call it cool guy ball. You know, you get to look cool and do them little layups and then run through. You know, you're just cool or whatever. But conditioning pushes you far out of your comfort zone. Like, it is not free-for-all. It is not shoot-around. You don't get to go at your own pace. You get, don't get to do it however you want to do it. And what's crazy about conditioning is when you get into it, you, the only way to make it through, and I've been there as an athlete, the only way to make it through is when you rely on your teammates around you. Because they start pulling you. They start coaching you. They start dragging you with them. It's amazing. I found a great truth in all this. <laughs> a lot of players want shoot-around, but they don't want conditioning. A lot of people want a Christianity that is more like a shoot-around than conditioning. Shh, I know. Here we are. A lot of people start Christianity, they start following Jesus, and they fall off because they think it's a shoot-around. <laughs> they think that they can follow Jesus and then coast and go through the motions and go real cool with it and take their time and just kind of do whatever they want to. And what they end up realizing is that following Jesus, like it's marketed, is really not a shoot-around at all. It's actually conditioning. <laughs> it's actually you being pushed to your absolute hardest to become the most sanctified, not just the best version of you. Let me tell you something. The best version of you apart from Christ is still trash. <laughs> Following Jesus is you becoming more like Jesus, not becoming a better you. It's becoming more like Jesus, and it's hard, and the only way to make it through sanctification, the only way to make it through conditioning is to what? Rely on your teammates. Here we call it our brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot do it alone. Now, I know what you're thinking. Daniel, I get that. Okay, Christianity is like conditioning. Is that true? You tell me. Because as I was thinking about this sermon series, I came to a verse that sure sounds like conditioning. It doesn't sound like a shoot-around. You're familiar with it. It's Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 will be on the screen right now. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> There's nothing casual about a crucifixion. There's nothing going through the motions about a crucifixion. No, Paul lays it out. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and decided to give himself up for me. In this new sermon series, I want you to understand very clearly from the stage that following Christianity is not a free-for-all. Following Christianity is oftentimes hard. It's difficult, and the world will beat you up for it. It is very much like conditioning. But what you know is when you trust that coach in conditioning, he is pushing you because you will grow. If you will trust Jesus in your trials, you will grow to be more like him. But in the same way, and it's scary, in the same way people quit on trying out for the team because conditioning gets hard, there's many college students who start following Jesus, who love the videos and love the hoodies, and then they get into it, and they're like, oh, this is hard. This didn't solve anything. This didn't solve my problems immediately. And they walk away. And they quit before the miracle happens. 
in this sermon series over the next few weeks, I want to debunk the misconceptions people have about Christianity in America. You are very familiar with them. It's no surprise to you. But today's society is pushing you to believe that life is all about you. That your universe is is revolving around you. That it is orbiting around you. That you are the center. And that if your pleasure is not there, if your feelings are not right, that something must be off. We gotta tell you something. If you are following your feelings, you are following the most shallow part of you. That's not in my notes. I don't know who that's for, but I want you to understand Christianity is following Jesus, which means following facts, not following feelings. Are your feelings bad? No. God gave you feelings, they're just not a good driver. You put them in the passenger seat or the back seat, but the feelings are not a good driver. So as we dive into this series, I want us to really understand that this is not about me. What I have learned, though, and I want to give you this before we jump into our passage, what I have learned very clearly is that if you really want to know what someone believes, don't look at what they say. Look at what they do. Look at what you say and what you do. And where those two things match up, that's what you truly believe. I have college students come to me all the time. Daniel, I want to see this happen. I want to live for Jesus. I want to do this. I'm living for Jesus. I'm making disciples, all these things. And what I say is, let's look at what you are saying and what you are doing. And do those two things match up? Where that matches up is what your true belief system is. And now you don't have to tell me, but you've got to tell the Lord. Where in your life, think about it, where in your life is what you're saying not lining up with what you're doing? Is it sharing the gospel? Is it repenting of that sin that's clinging on to you? I don't know what it is for you. But what I know is for a lot of us, we say a lot about Jesus, but we don't do a lot in the name of Jesus. And that's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. As you're taking notes, before we jump into John 3, I want you to write at the top of your notes, it's not about me. The title of the sermon very clearly, going along with the sermon series, is it's not about me. Now, in John chapter 3, we pick up with a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an amazing person in the Bible. His testimony is amazing because his testimony is all about preparing the way for another. He was an absolute stud. He was called to preach and proclaim that Jesus was coming. What's so cool about... I'm so sorry. I feel like that was... Are y'all hearing echo? Or is it just me? I'm so sorry. Let me keep going. In John chapter 3, we find John the Baptist, and he's going to be approached by someone regarding baptism. Let's go ahead and look at John 3 right now. Look with me at verses 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, watch this, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. Look at John's response in verse 27, very clear, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend, we're going to dive into what this means, who stands by and listens for him, rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. There's a wedding concept here. There's a picture of a wedding here. Many of us in college want to get married very badly. We're going to talk about that tonight. 
So this joy of mine, John says, is complete. He, meaning Christ, must increase, but I must decrease. Think about this before we pray. John had all kind of people coming to him, had all the chances to make the fame about him. And this is what he chose to say. Christ must increase, but I must decrease. If you haven't, write that down in your notes. Write, Christ must increase, but I must decrease. I don't know about y'all, but I want to pray. Let's go to the Lord right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. And Father, we know we have a very real and persistent enemy. Father, right now, I can sense the attacks of the devil in this room. Father, right now, the devil would love to discourage and distract and to hurt, to guilt and to shame. And Father, we know that he is a loser and that Jesus is on his throne tonight. And so, Father, he is rebuked in the name of Jesus. And, God, we pray that you would speak tonight. God, we don't care what I have to say. We want to hear from you, God. Give me the words to say about this passage from John 3. Lord, we love you, and we thank you so much for who you are. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Hey, number one, I want you to write this down very clear. I must decrease. Let's talk about this concept Very, very simple. My two points tonight are I must decrease and Christ must increase. So number one, I must decrease. This is an incredible passage. And for anybody who's doing any sort of ministry, discipleship, evangelism, anything at all, everything that Delaney was talking about here on stage a moment ago, I hope you listen up because this is a word for you. This passage shows two ministry teams. You have Jesus' ministry team that is baptizing, and then you have John the Baptist's ministry team that is baptizing. You got two teams here. You got two teams. Now, this is very important. I want you to understand what is happening here. An argument breaks out between these two teams because of a dispute that came from a Jew, which is crazy. Now, this dispute, think about this for a minute with me. What is the motive of this dispute? What is happening here? What has crept into what we believe the disciples of John the Baptist? What has crept in their heart? I want to tell you what it is, but here's the thing. I told our serve team. This word, when I say it, I already know what you're going to think. I already know what we think when we hear this word because we always think, oh, somebody else. (laughs) We hear this word and we think, oh, I know a person like that. Or, oh, I hope he or she heard that. That's a good word, pastor. Did you hear that? No, listen. What I believe is the motive here that is coming from this scripture is jealousy. Oh, some of you are like, oh, this is a bad night to come to the view. When are we talking about free food again? When are we talking about authentic community again? When are we just talking about something like, no, jealousy. You see, John the Baptist's disciples are coming and they are considering giving in to jealousy and competition and competing. And that is what is happening right here in this moment. Jealousy. Now, I don't even need to ask if you struggle with jealousy. I know the answer. I don't need to ask if you ever struggle comparing yourself to other believers. I already know the answer. If you don't know Jesus, I don't need to ask if you struggle comparing yourself to lost people. I already know the answer. So we can get past all that. We can get past the whole this sermon is for somebody else and realize it's for us. Amen. We can die to that. 
and realize that every single person in this room in one way or another allows the devil to creep insecurities in our heart because we're insecure over what other people are doing. If you have ever had a friend who something went great for them and you did not feel celebration for that friend, you felt, oh, that should have been me. Hello? You might be struggling with that deep insecurity of wanting everything to be about you. And I love what happens here. And I love this because Jesus did the exact same thing. I love it. John the Baptist looks into this moment and he responds with no one can receive anything unless it's from heaven anyway. So John did not encourage or affirm comparison or jealousy, but neither did Jesus. Watch this in Luke chapter 9 verses 49 to 50. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Jesus said, watch this, don't stop him, because whoever is not against you is for you. So in other words, if John the Baptist and Jesus neither affirmed or encouraged ungodly comparison, why do you and I think we can do it so often? Man, and listen, I can't blame you. I can't be mad at you. I'm in the same boat with you. But let me tell you something. Social media makes it a lot harder, doesn't it? Man, let me tell you something. Some of our parents and grandparents, and probably like great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents, you can keep going down the line, probably did not struggle with it as often. Now, they struggled with it, but they might not have struggled with it as often because whenever they felt insecure, they didn't have a devil device they could pull out and compare themselves to everybody else. But now what you do is, the moment you get insecure, most of us don't run to the word. We don't run to prayer. What we do is we run to this. And we're surprised when the devil starts breaking us down. Uh, the devil's got a grip on this. And he's using it to attack you. But the great thing is you can have freedom from that. You are not enslaved to the sin of jealousy, but you got to call it what it is. You got to call it what it is. You got to name it. You got to nail it to the cross. In fact, James chapter 3, I'm skipping ahead here, but James chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. Look at this on the screen. I know I just skipped ahead. Here it is. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Think about that. Goodness gracious. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. So you tell me, do you think jealousy is a big deal? You tell me, do you think comparison and competing with other people is a big deal? I think it is. And I know it's not like, let's hoop and holler over this sermon. Let's get hype over it. Well, you know what? I don't care about all that stuff. I'm going to tell you the truth of God's word. And I know what you're struggling with. I know you're struggling with this. And if we don't call it what it is, you will never overcome it. So I don't care. I don't care if it's not feel good. I don't care if this is not a soundbite on Instagram. I don't care if the word says it, I will say it. <laughs> when you come to the view, you will hear nothing but the Bible. And the Bible is saying that this which we give into over and over is sin. But John chose not to. How? Let me give you an action step right here. What he decided to do, he made a conscious decision how John gave up jealousy and comparison. I want to ask you the question, will you? John decided that that temptation would be nailed to the cross when Jesus would be crucified because he was preparing the way for Jesus, and he decided to give it up. And the reason why 
John the Baptist chose not to fall into this temptation is because he had two things that are so critical. He had an accurate view of him and an accurate view of God. Look at his statement. He says it right here, and I'm going to give you more scripture. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture tonight. He said, I am not the Messiah. That's his view of Jesus and himself. He sees Jesus as the Messiah. Do you really see Jesus as your Lord? Like Dakota said last week, is he your Lord? Is he your ruler? And I have been sent ahead of Jesus. So John the Baptist, right there in that verse, shows you two things. Number one, he knows he's not the Messiah, but he also knows his own worth. John the Baptist is so amazing. Lock in with me. John the Baptist understood that he was not the Messiah, but that didn't mean he didn't have a worth and a calling. John the Baptist knew, Puckett, that he had a calling from God, that he had a purpose, that he had a place in God's kingdom. You know, some of us walk around and we just beat ourselves up and we're just down on ourselves all the time. John the Baptist was not like that. He was not egotistical, but he also understood what his calling and his purpose and his plan was, what God's plan was for his life. John knew. And the reason why many of us continue to give in to this temptation is because we don't really see ourselves the way that God sees us. I wrote this down. I want you to put this in your notes. I'm jumping all over my notes. If you view yourself too highly, you'll compare your strengths to hurt others. If you view yourself too lowly, You'll compare your flaws to hurt yourself. If you view yourself too highly, you'll compare your strengths to hurt others. And if you view yourself too lowly, you'll compare your flaws to hurt yourself. If I can level with you. Jealousy will rob you of joy. This ain't a sermon. This is you and me talking. Jealousy will rob you of your joy. And that's not the way that Christ has intended for you to lead. Comparison and competition will rob you of your joy. How do you see God? How do you see yourself? John the Baptist goes even further in John 1, 22 to 27. John says, they say, who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? John said, here's his testimony. I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as, the, as Isaiah the prophet said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water. John answered them, someone stands among you, but you don't know him yet. How many of you know the people in your life, Jesus is right there close to them, but they don't know him yet? <laughs> And then John says, I am not worthy to untie his sandal strap. How many of us have that kind of perspective of ourselves where we really don't even consider ourselves worthy to untie Jesus' shoes? And many of us walk around thinking we're worthy of his glory. You can't play around with this. I'm not going to move on yet. Look at me. You can't play around with this. You can't play around with stuff like pride and greed and jealousy and comparison. You cannot play around with it. If you let it linger, it will rob you of your joy. You see, many Christians want to let sin in their life and experience the Lord. It doesn't work that way. I wrote this down right here. Christians often want to experiment with sin and experience God. It doesn't work that way. You cannot experiment with sin and experience the Lord. You can't. 
You're going to have to choose to die to sin, and then you will truly experience the goodness of the Lord. In college, my wife had an apartment, and it was, a, it was an okay apartment. It was pretty small. How many of you live out on your own? Show of hands. Let me see where you are. I got a lot of people that are living with their parents right now. Some of y'all are like, Ugh. I'm living at home, having my food cooked for me, having my clothes washed for me. It's nice. Yeah. Amen. Oh my gosh. Somebody lives in a mansion over there. Goodness gracious. Your parents make y'all bed? Some of y'all are like, oh, how did he know? <laughs> Some of y'all, your parents still make you bed. When I, was in, uh, when I was dating my wife, she had an apartment, and we were, uh, a group of us were at her apartment one night, and it was a small apartment out near campus, and very, very small. I mean, this apartment was like a shoebox, and we were inside of this apartment. We walked in the kitchen. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It probably has. It happened to me Sunday. We walked in the kitchen, and right there on the counter, we saw the last thing you want to see in your eating area. <laughs> you know what it is? We turn on the light, and it's a cockroach. Ooh, I hate cockroaches. It's hard to believe God made those. <laughs> it really is. It's hard to believe it, man. I'll tell you what. And when their wings start flapping, uh, it does that little sound. You know that sound. It's nasty. I'm not even going to try to imitate it. go viral. You know that sound. Cockroaches are disgusting. And we walked in, and we just froze there. My wife's just staring at it, and then she, like, you know, looks at me like, what you going to do about it? <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, take my shoe off and walk over to it. And instantly what I did was what you do whenever you see a cockroach. I took that shoe and I went, boom. And sometimes you think you got it, but you go, boom. And then it goes, and you're like, oh, shoot, this is going to be bad. You got to start looking underneath the counters and stuff, open it up. And you're scared to open up that counter because it might go, bah, and get you. And I tried, I went, bam, right there on the counter. And I looked, I had to make sure, you know, I was like, boom, my flashlight making sure, and it was dead. I killed it instantly. And I thought about this. I've been thinking about this all weekend. The reason why we see a cockroach and we kill it is because we believe it's nasty. And if we let it hang around, we're not going to live a healthy life. <laughs> Many Christians never overcome the temptation in their life. And that's because they view their temptation more as a pet that they can lay hang around than they do a cockroach that they need to kill. No, there's not a single person in here who lets a cockroach hang around like a pet because we would never live a healthy life. And you know what? Some of you are letting sin hang around your life and expecting to live a healthy spiritual life. It's not gonna happen. You see, many of us, we put our sin on a leash and what we do is we try to keep our sin, we try to keep jealousy, we try to keep comparison at arm's length. If I can just keep it here, if I can just keep it locked away, then it won't hurt me. But let me tell you something. Cockroaches, if you don't kill them, what are they going to do? Spread and multiply. And if you would just take temptation, the next time temptation arises in your life, I want you to think, cockroach because that's exactly what it is. It's nasty. I want you to think, cockroach, I want you to grab your shoe and I want you to go, ah, and smash it and be done with it. I'm serious. When you leave and they ask, what did you learn tonight? I learned sin is like a cockroach and I need to kill it. Well, praise God. Somebody's preaching something real. Temptation is not a dog or cat or fish that you should let hang around you as a pet. You can't keep it on a leash. It's going to get loose and multiply. It is a cockroach. And if you would just smash it when temptation arises, you would experience so many spiritual wins in your life. But you're right here and you got it on a leash. You let that comparison creep up just enough to where you can push it back down when someone else affirms you. Okay, somebody else told me I did a good job. I, whew, I can relax. 
oh, I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm having anxiety. I just don't feel like I have as much worth as he does or she does. Oh, somebody sent me a nice text. Okay, I'm good again. You going to keep living like that? You going to keep living like that? Because I've been there too many times. Let me tell you something. It's horrible. It drains you. What you can do is your affirmation and your approval does not have to be in anybody else's opinion. It is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he died for. He died so that you could be free, not so that you could put sin on a leash and make yourself a slave again. Israel, the minute they left out of Egypt, they wanted to go back as soon as the journey got hard. And many of us, we get out of the slavery of sin and we start following Jesus, but we want to go right back to Egypt when things get hard. Don't let the devil put handcuffs on you that are not there. If you're a believer, you are not a slave to sin. Hello? If you're a believer, you are not enslaved to jealousy and greed and comparison. You are free. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. It's time for you to access it. <laughs> it's time for you to access it. And the only way to access spiritual power from heaven is to do something that warrants spiritual power from heaven. In other words, spiritual acts. <laughs> That's the power of prayer. That's what happens when you start praying, you open up a whole other realm. You just opened up a portal and you don't even realize it. When you pray, a portal has been opened and spiritual power comes down and fills you. But we don't pray because we're too busy browsing on this. I need to move on. I need to keep going. Smash it. I'm serious. Tonight, when Satan tempts you to look at something on your phone, Tonight, when you get in the car with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and he tempts you to do something you know is sin. Think cockroach, <laughs> nasty, disgusting, and kill it. And you will win spiritual battles. He is faithful to forgive you. 1 John 1 9, I love this verse, PJ. I love this verse, man. It's, it's an amazing verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you grateful? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> He is faithful to forgive you. There is no sin you have done tonight that Jesus Christ didn't pay for on the cross and cannot forgive you for right now. Nothing. Nothing. I need to keep going. Sin is like a cockroach. I just want you to burn that into your mind. Number two, Christ must increase. So we have to be willing to allow our name, our gain, our kingdom, our money, our fame, everything, all give it away to God. Doesn't mean we have to be broke and walk around homeless all the time, but it means that our money is not our money. Our money is God's money because God gave it to you anyway. It means, here's another example for you, your body is not really your body because if you're a believer, Christ paid for your body, which means your body belongs to you. So what are you doing with your body? I'm sorry. I know you guys are like, I'm not coming back to this place. <laughs> it's a little much. Now, seriously, though, your money, your body, your time, your energy, your thoughts. If you are a believer, they do not belong to you. They belong to Christ, and he died. He loves you so much. He, he died on a cross. He shed his blood so that you could have peace and joy in your identity placed in him. Aren't you grateful for that? Stop living like you're a slave. And let me tell you something. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ, you are a slave. You are a slave to sin. But Jesus Christ has told you, I got the keys. <laughs> I got the keys to those handcuffs. I got the keys to free you at what cost? It's a gift. <laughs> Jesus said, literally, the key is a gift. But in order to receive the gift, you have to repent of those sins, identify them, name them, and then give them away. And those chains will fall off. Those chains will hit the ground. And you will be free. 
Somebody is being freed of sin tonight. Listen, I don't know who it is. I'm not going to prophesy and start pointing out like, huh, you know, I don't even point in a direction and give that hand. Like, huh, you. Like, no, I don't know who it is. But in this room, what I know is somebody is being freed of sin right now. It's easy to do it in here when Mondays matter and we all hyped up. But what happens when you go out those doors? It's hard, ain't it? You're saying, Pastor, I get it. <laughs> Pastor, I hear you. Sin is like a cockroach. But, Pastor, when I get out there, it shall don't look like a cockroach. It looks enticing. It looks tempting. It looks like I want it. It's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from Satan. Christ must increase. John the Baptist does not play here. Verse 27, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. Skip down to verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly as the groom's, at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So what is happening here with this groom, with this wedding? I want you to understand something. When I got married, I got married in 2018. A lot of y'all know my wife, Hannah. Make some noise for Hannah Harris tonight. Amen. I love my wife. I give you some advice as you are in college and trying to figure out who to marry. If you uh, marry someone who is your best friend, you will never regret it. Amen? Marry someone who you love hanging out with, you love spending time with, someone who is your best friend, and you will never forget. Wow, you guys are really into this. Oh, my gosh. I'm keep talking more. You know, she's the love of my life. I love her. You know? So uh, <coughs> we got married in 2018. I'm 26 now. I was 24 when I got married. I sure was not ready when I got married. And uh, I wish that I was. I don't know if I'm ready now, to be honest with you. Um, but if I could tell myself anything, just a side note here. If I could tell myself anything, when I was where you are, it's, man, if you get married and you're still dealing with a whole lot of selfishness that you haven't dealt with, you're going to be very unhappy. And that's just real. That's just raw. That's not here. That's here. For, as your pastor, let me tell you something. If I could go back two years ago and better prepare myself for marriage, I would take all of my selfishness and nail it to a cross. I wouldn't let it hang around and linger. And that's just right here. Kill it. It ain't worth it. This life is not about you. It's too short to make it about you. Anyways, we were, as I was getting ready to propose to her, I took her to dinner. And uh, that was a mistake. I should have proposed before dinner. Because the entire dinner, I was anxious and sweaty. <laughs> I sweat profusely. I'm like, Paul, I sweat a lot. <laughs> I mean, I got like a whole river going down. I mean, I sweat like the Mississippi River. Like, I sweat. I'm sweating in this hoodie. I ain't going to lie to you. And I was sweating during this dinner. I was nervous. I was sick. And I, was, I went to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror, and my face was literally pale, like pale white. And I take her. We eat dinner. We eat chicken, cheese, and rice, which was a huge mistake. And uh, not normally. You know, obviously, we all love it normally, right? Amen. But before you propose, big mistake. And uh, I went to go into the doors of where I was proposing to her. And I opened the doors, and she realizes what's happening. She's like, oh. You know, she starts like, oh, oh, my gosh, she's looking at me and stuff. She's like, Daniel, is this it? And I cannot make this up to you. Uh, I look at her in this moment. All I can say is I look at her dead face and I say, Hannah, I'm about to throw up. <laughs> and I almost did. <laughs> I was sick. At my wedding day, I had two best men. One was named Corey O'Hara and the other one was named Dakota Tucker. I had a lot of college students in my wedding, too, and my best friends. And uh, I had two best men, and uh, I remember when they were standing with me on my wedding day. And I was asking them some questions about what they wanted to do, what they wanted to eat or whatever. I'll never forget Corey. He looked at me, man, and he said, he said, Daniel, this day is not about me. This has never been about me. This is about you. And he told me, he told me real talk. He looked at me. He said, I'm just grateful to stand beside you today. I thought about that moment, and I looked at John chapter 3. 
What John is saying is that John is in the role, watch this, of a best man. And he's saying that this life is not about him. It's about the groom. He says, when he says, that's what's beautiful about it. When he says, Christ must increase, John says, I must decrease. What John the Baptist is saying in this moment is he is saying, hey, I'm just grateful to stand beside Jesus Christ. <laughs> is that how you feel? Have you come to that point yet? And we're just talking, for real, you and me. Have you come to that point yet where you realize this whole life is like a wedding and it's all about Jesus and him coming together with his church and you and me are just grateful to stand there beside him? Because let me tell you something. If Corey and Dakota, watch this, if they had come to my wedding and stood up there and tried to attract all the attention on them and away from me, what kind of best men are they? (laughs) I would have started rioting if they had stood up there and they were like looking all cleaner than I was. They couldn't look cleaner than I was. I had to look clean, right? But what if they came and they made that day all about them? They would be terrible best men. You know what we do as disciples? Jesus invites us to be a part of it. And then we go and we stand next to Jesus and we try to get everyone to look at us. We literally go to the wedding, stand beside Jesus, and we're holding up signs saying, hey, look at me. I know Jesus is great. Yeah, he's awesome. But have you seen me? Look at the sermons I can preach. Look at the clothes I can wear. Look at the way that I can talk. Look at what I can do. Hey, look at me. But yes, I love this guy. But I really want you to look at me. John the Baptist said, oh, no, this is not about me. Do not look at me. My job as the best man is to direct and guide every single ounce of attention to Jesus Christ because he deserves all the glory. Are you doing that? No, don't answer If someone looked at your life, would they see that's how you operate? Do you operate as the best man to Jesus? Do you operate as someone who is constantly trying everything you can to shift people's attention to Jesus? Because that's what John the Baptist did. When you read the Gospels, you quickly realize John the Baptist's entire ministry was built on directing people to someone else. His entire life calling was to, hey, prepare the way for someone else. Can you imagine? And let me just level with you guys. For real. Because if I'm vulnerable, maybe you'll start to be vulnerable. There, when I first started preaching, there were sermons I would preach and I would walk off stage like, yeah, I'm the man. There were times when I would share Jesus and I would do it all in his name and I would worship him and I would glorify him. And I would say, yes, you need to know Jesus. And I would walk away thinking, I'm the man. There's times I would disciple and I would pour into people and I would teach them the Bible. And I'd be like, yeah, man, Jesus changed your life. Jesus invested in you, man. It's all about Jesus. And then I walk away thinking, man, I hope somebody sees the impact I'm making in their life. That's the pastor saying that. Could you ever admit it? Would you be willing to join me in admitting it? Because that's what we often do. And if I don't call it what it is and tell you how I have struggled with it in the past, you won't ever name it. But every single sermon I've ever preached, every person I've ever shared the gospel with, and every discipleship I have ever done has absolutely nothing to do with me and never has. Never will. I was 21 years old, face down in a park, lost, had nothing going in my life. He saved me. How could I take credit for the salvation that he has begun in me? How can you ever try to take credit for the salvation that Jesus has begun in you? How? Man, so don't be afraid to name it and call it what it is. I watch too many sermons where we just go through the motions and we're superficial about it. No, let me tell you something. I've struggled with this in the past, man. There have been times I've made it all about me. And that's the most miserable days I've ever been a part of. 
the absolute most miserable days were when I was making life all about me. And if I could go back and change anything in my ministry here at The View over the last four years, I would go back and I would crucify myself quicker. I would die to my flesh quicker. I would nail it all to the cross and say, it's not about me. And let me tell you something. If that's where you are tonight, there is nothing keeping you there. You don't have to live that way. You can be free. So call it what it is. Right now in your notes, I don't know what it is for you, but the Lord's prompting this. I want you to write down in your notes whatever it is God's calling you to give him this week. You write it down and name it. Maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's not, maybe it's something different. But you write down right now what it is God's calling you to give him. Maybe it's more of your time. <laughs> maybe it's your heart. I don't know what it is, but God is calling you to give him something. Man, I'm grateful to stand by Jesus Christ. So let me give you a couple action steps here. Two things John did. You say, Daniel, this is great. I get it. Jealousy is a sin. Comparison is a sin. Selfishness is a sin. What do I do? The first thing John did is, A, John confidently proclaimed Christ. John got over himself when he started talking verbally about the Messiah. The quickest way to get over me is to start talking about the Messiah. And Paul sums it up in Romans 1, verse, 1, verse 16, a powerful verse that we love. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Can I say something? Do not be ashamed of the gospel. You do not be ashamed of the gospel. Don't you ever go out in that world and be ashamed of the gospel. If Jesus Christ has truly transformed your life, how could you ever go out there and be ashamed? Don't be embarrassed about the gospel, man. Like, I understand rejection is real, Julia. I understand that rejection hurts. I was rejected today at University of Memphis. John the Baptist was rejected. Paul was rejected. We all know rejection hurts. But let me tell you something. When you go out there in that world and you get rejected by that world, and it's going to happen, when you get rejected, you just remember, there may be a whole world out there that rejects you, but there's an army in here who will support you. This is an army. And we got to be together, man. We got to be one. So when we get beat up there out in the world, we come in here and we get encouraged, we get called out, we get challenged, and we hold each other accountable. That's the way John the Baptist ran his ministry. He was proclaiming Jesus Christ, and he was unapologetic about it. <laughs> a message of repentance, a message that was not culturally popular, but revival broke out. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel. And I know right now, as you get ready for this week, there is someone God is preparing you to share the gospel with. What Satan wants to do is he wants to convince you that sharing the gospel or talking to someone about Jesus is too advanced for you. Yeah, man, that's for somebody else. That's for the pastor. That's for, that's for so-and-so. That's for Fernando. No, sharing the gospel is for you. The reason why it is for you is because it's never about you. Reagan, ain't none of us qualified in the end of it. Ain't a single one of us qualified. But God will equip the called. And as you go share the gospel, you will see lost people get saved, and there is a joy none like it. But you got to be willing to proclaim the gospel. Proclaim, I looked it up. I wanted to make sure I knew exactly what it meant. All it means is to announce publicly. That's what proclamation is. That's what Bree's baptism was earlier. It is a public proclamation saying, I am with Jesus. I am not with this world. Man, it's no wonder that Christianity is so misperceived in America. I've had a lot of these conversations with my friends. 
It's no reason people, it's no wonder people misperceive Christianity in America. I wrote some of these down. I think a lot, lost people in America, when they look at us, they see a lot of people claiming to be born again but are afraid to speak about it. They see Christians claiming to believe that a man named Jesus, a Middle Eastern rabbi from 2,000 years ago, resurrected from the dead, but we really aren't telling that many people about it. They look at us and they see Christians who are siding with a political party more than they side with the Messiah. They see Christians who believe that our hope and our salvation is in a political figure, not a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi who was homeless. And they see this division, they see this hate, they see this selfishness, and they, I'm sure they wonder, just like I did when I was 20 years old and lost, is that all real? All that Christianity stuff you're claiming, is that all real? Because I'm struggling to see where it really comes from. I wrote this down, I bet a lot of non-Christians think, man, for a group that believes their Messiah came back to life, they sure don't speak about it that confidently. Nate said it in the video. This is not about what you or I can do. This is about what God can do. And I know you got family members that don't know Jesus. Call it what it is. If you are not sharing the gospel with your family, who will? Ain't nobody else out there taking the gospel to your family. And some of you come here every week. Sometimes I do it. Some of you come here every week hooping and hollering about Jesus, knowing you got family members that are dying and on their way to hell. But God has the power to save your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your aunts, your uncles. God could save those people. And believe it or not, he could use you. If you would start telling them about scripture, you would see people's lives transformed radically. But at what cost? At what cost are we going to start talking about Jesus? B, John lived with the joy of Jesus Christ. We see two things evident in the life of John. We see that he proclaimed the gospel confidently, but not just that. He lived with the joy of Christ. Verse 29 says, my joy is made complete. It's an amazing concept, but John's joy was not dependent on him or his circumstances. It was dependent on Christ. It was dependent on Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about happiness. I'm not talking about your happiness. I'm talking about your joy. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is a part of who you are. I wrote this down. Happiness is a mood based on changing circumstances. Joy is a characteristic based on the never-changing Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which one are you chasing after? Because one will come and go. The other will stay with you through trials and tribulation. Which one do you want? Because you can have the joy of the Lord. You know, one of the saddest things about Christianity is sad Christians. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be real and raw with who we are and our struggles. But let me say something. If we are always walking around like gray clouds, you ever seen a gray cloud? Of course, we all have. We've seen the sky. It's just there. It's just existing. It looks gloomy. It's just moving through the sky slowly. Too many of us as Christians are walking around life like a gray cloud. We don't have the joy of the Lord. We do not have the joy of Jesus Christ. And I truly believe if Christians would live with the true joy of Jesus Christ, we would see so many other people get saved. There is nothing more enticing to a lost soul when they see you live with the joy of Jesus Christ. The question is, how much is your joy placed in him? Or are you looking for happiness in this world? It will never happen. I was 20 years old. Placing my identity in everything in this world. 
placing my identity in people, in dating, and trying to find a spouse, trying to find a girlfriend. I placed my identity in dating. I was placing my joy and my hope and my faith in marijuana and lies and deceit and pride and trying to build my own name. And one night I just hit a wall. I hit a wall and I realized it clicked in my mind for the first time that I will never obtain it in this world. 21 years old, probably the same age as you, I realized I will never obtain it in this world. That's why you see celebrities get all the money and fame in the world and OD. Because you can gain this whole world and lose your soul. And that's what I was on the path of doing. I was about to gain the whole world and forfeit my soul. And for me, that night, I tell you all the time about when I was at the park, it was a realization that I am a broken sinner, that I had broken so many commands of God's, and I was a loser, <laughs> call it what it is, I was a loser, and I, did not, I was not filled with the Holy Spirit. And for me, when I, when I laid down on that ground that night, and I prayed that prayer, I gave every single ounce of me to Jesus Christ. Because I had realized there's nothing else in this world that will satisfy me. One day you'll get married, and if your identity is not in Jesus, you will not be any more satisfied than you are right now. One day you'll have a career, and if your identity is not in Jesus, you won't be any more satisfied than you are there. But today, right now, if you were to put your identity in Jesus Christ, you would have all the joy you would need. You would have all the affirmation you would need, and you could stop running to other people and comparing yourself to other people. In your life this week, what you need to do is Christ must increase. You must decrease.